Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delaney. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast, episode five. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuperon, Youth Director here at Next Sports. Happy holidays to all, and we welcome our listeners back to yet another episode where we dive into youth sports and lacrosse topics. Coach Cooper and I are thrilled to be close to 1,000 downloads, which is just fantastic. So we're looking forward to another good show and uh, to a happy end of the year. Coach? Thanks, Bill. As we're a handful of episodes into the podcast now, we remain just as jacked up, and we can't wait to carry this momentum into 2020. In the spirit of encouraging more feedback, I recently purchased some podcast t-shirts and will proudly be gifting them to some of the guys who have reached out to check in and giving us meaningful feedback. A few quick shout outs to some people we've heard from. For me, a few former players have reached out. That's been super special. Uh, Next 2014, two leaders of our first team, Luke and Richie. Next 2016, Ryan Tarafenko, a captain at Ohio State, has reached out. He's told me, Uh, about Coach Myers and that he's already learned about the New Zealand All Blacks and he wanted me to give you some feedback on that Um, and excited to hear more. Hopefully he's a guest we could have after they win the national championship uh, later this year. Dean Curtis, uh, another Ohio State connection. He leads Lower Bucks Lacrosse. He's associated with FCA Lacrosse. He gave me some really good feedback and I know he's listening. And the last shout out would be for a parent in the next lacrosse club, uh, Andrew Brickman is a parent of a 2026, a current sixth grader that plays with us. Um, and his dad, Andrew, is a huge fan of the podcast. He's actually led uh, me to some topics, some questions we will get to today with Coach Resch. And it sounds like Bill uh, is having a hard time shrugging off his colleagues at LaSalle. We wanted to give them a shout out. Um, sounds like you're getting some good feedback too, Coach. Oh, special shout out to Kevin Whitney, Vice Principal of Academics. Likes to come over to my office and give me a hard time says I'm feeling it a little too much with my uh, <laughs> radio voice here. So, Kevin, good to have you with us. Special shout out. I'll see you at school. With us today is a, an honored guest and a good friend. We're thrilled to have Tony Resch. It's hard for me to go through his resume uh, without missing one or two things. But beyond all else, he's a godfather of Philadelphia lacrosse, colleague of mine at LaSalle, and a, both in coaching and in the classroom, and an overall first-class guy. So, Coach, let me see if I do you justice here generally speaking, all your accomplishments. High school coach at Penn Charter, associate head coach at LaSalle, Yale All-American as a player, Team USA like five times over, but at least once as a player, maybe more. Once, coach? Once. Team USA indoor head coach, assistant coach multiple times for the men's team, and now GM for the under-19 USA team. Head coach in the MLL with the Philadelphia Barrage, along with multiple assistant jobs throughout the league. And uh, head coach of the Philadelphia Wings for 10 years? Uh, eight years. Eight years. And now assistant with the PLO Archers. So the guys covered it all. Coop, what I miss? Whew. So for me, uh, we'll start with the Wings. The things that stand out is six seasons playing for the Wings. Uh, that's when I was a young lacrosse fan and catching the bug. We've talked about it a little bit on our first episode or two. But in six seasons, um, sounds like you won two championships as a player. Is that right? And then Tony went on to coach from 1994 to 2001. Uh, he was the head coach on the bench, and the Wings won four championships. Is that right? Uh, four, yes. Spread out over those years. But. Spread out over there, yeah. The last one coming in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, also in 2001, Tony was the inaugural NLL Coach of the Year. 
In 2006, he was the MLL Coach of the Year, which is the Pro Outdoor League. And in 2008, he was inducted into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. So just to compare that to my own lacrosse career, I was graduating college in 2007. Um, Coach Resch was in the Hall of Fame the next year. And I'm uh, really a huge fan and always have been. So we're excited to learn more today about Coach. Welcome, Coach. Thanks, guys. Thrilled to be here. Uh, and heard a lot of great things about the uh, start out to the podcast. My first uh, personal experience uh, doing one of these, so I couldn't be more excited to be doing it with uh, with you guys, guys that I know well and respect so much. Humble guy, no boat. Did I miss anything? All the multiple Hall of Fame's accomplishments? Come on, it's okay. Uh, I, I think you covered it all. Thank well, you. we're excited at your first podcast, so that's history. Um, a little payback to Coach Leahy for putting me on the spot there with the bio, but any good stories about working with Coach Leahy or Coach Leahy as a teammate? This wasn't in our notes, pre-broadcast. Pre, uh, uh, well, he does. Uh, he's made kind of a habit with our LaSalle teams when we reach the very always difficult point in the tryout process where we have to let some guys know that uh, they aren't going to be playing for the team that year. And he leads off by saying, well, Coach Resch cut me one day <laughs> back in the day. So awesome. Uh, you I, can survive and flourish. And, uh, but no, it's yeah. My therapist says I'm making progress, so I'll, I'll get over it eventually. I like it. Yeah, Coach Leahy's going to notice I started sneaking some stuff in here without it going in our thorough notes. So I'm wising up, Coach. But keep your head on a swivel. Yep, I'll be ready. All right, Coach, youth sport hot topic these days. Youth sports topic today is multi-sport athletes. I think uh, I take a lot of pride in telling parents that I played multiple sports. All the coaches at Next played multiple sports through high school. And I wanted to hear from guys that have a little bit more experience than me um, what you think about multi-sport athletes and how important that is. Yeah, I would, uh, I, in my experience, both at, at the high school level and even at the international level, uh, I believe that the top performers are multi-sport guys. Uh, I think the trend we all know has been moving away from that and that you use the old cliche, kind of have to put all your eggs in one basket and, and really guard that basket. Uh, I personally believe, and this has been, or this is how I was raised and how I still see uh, the athletes that I get to work with, those that are somewhat diverse in their athletic bro uh, background really do uh, become the top players. And I think it is because of that ability to a change of pace, to experience another coaching style, another uh, technique allows them to get uh, refreshed mentally and physically. And uh, I think that's always a benefit that uh, sometimes if you're at one thing for too long, that can, that can uh, get stale. I don't know how you can work around that. And I think some guys just simply play too much. Right? You can't do anything just too much. All things kind of in moderation. It reminds me of Kevin Forrester, coach at LaSalle. Played football, played lacrosse, and we would go to Hershey Stadium for the state championship. And he went over to the wall, kind of similar to this brick building, and he pulled out a dollar bill. You remember that? And he says, yeah, I stick dollar bills each time I'm here in this locker room for your state championship. And then wow. he had like $5 in there because he'd been there for lacrosse three times, football twice. Wow, that's so, pretty badass. Yeah. And you could play multiple positions, too. And he used to say, just finding time to take a break. You know, you have to be able to put the stick down so that you miss it. You know, I'd rather do stick work for a half an hour with a guy who's rusty because he put it down for a while than a zombie who's just going through the same stuff again. 
And I, I, the one, uh, I guess, small, uh, I guess, trivia question for me, or not question, but point about me and my athletic background is I played football all the way through college. And I, I just felt that each time a season ended and I had the other one to look forward to, when I got to that next season, I was so excited. And um, sometimes, and, and Bill and I have talked about this at, uh, on at LaSalle, that we sometimes when they're getting to the regular season, they've already had kind of a long season leading up to that. And that freshness and newness and excitement is sometimes uh, maybe not quite at the level that it might be if they had had a little time away. Which sports did you pick up first, fall in love with first? And was lacrosse the first one or the third? Fourth, no, fifth? again, I'm, I'm from another generation, I guess I would say. Uh, but it was football, basketball, baseball. There was, I'm from uh, White Marsh Township in Montgomery County. And uh, I did not play organized lacrosse until I was in ninth grade. And quite honestly, most lacrosse, if not all lacrosse players in those days as a spring sport were failed baseball guys. If I could hit a curveball, I might have stayed with <laughs> baseball. But uh, and I, I, I'm sort of kidding about that. I had three. I was lucky enough to have three friends older don't brothers. Friends don't let friends play baseball. Yeah, coach. That's, I've known that for a long time. But I had three older brothers. I was lucky enough to go to Penn Charter for high school, which uh, in those days it was known as the wrong side of the river for lacrosse because it was really GA Penn Charter, Abington, and not a whole lot so I never played any youth lacrosse I never attended a camp I just started playing in the spring of my freshman year in high school and and kind of just kept rolling there and uh, basketball pretty much all the way through high school which I think is one of the top companion sports to lacrosse so uh, that's been that was a big part of it and football through college so knowing what you know now and if we went back and the three of us were sixth graders now, what would your favorite sport be in each season? Uh, would you be playing lacrosse more than in the spring? Would you be playing box? Um, you know, if you were in sixth grade, what, what would we do? Yeah, well, I guess I, I was raised in a football family. My dad coached football at the uh, high school and youth level for almost 40 years. So I'm a football guy from way back. So the fall is um, football. The fall is football, then basketball. And actually, I love uh hockey now I never played it but I think that's another great companion sport for the sport of lacrosse and then uh I really do I tease baseball players all the time but I certainly loved it playing as you know little league baseball and CIO and then when I finally got the opportunity to play lacrosse I was fired up for that chance too so that was uh obviously turned out to be a unbelievable vehicle for me in every imaginable way absolutely so that that'll lead us into our Coaches insight of the week. We want to talk a little bit about the value of box lacrosse. So uh, something we'll get into a lot and, and we're really passionate about, but I feel like you're you know, one of the leaders in uh, American born box lacrosse uh, as a player and a coach and um, really just wanted to hear you kind of explain the value of it. Yeah, I, I guess I'll give a, just a little bit of background how I got started um, the league I think it was called the Eagle League to start. And wow. I did not play in the first season, but I went to a game down at the Spectrum. And I was like, wow, that looks like fun. And the next uh, off season, Mike French, who I owe kind of the whole indoor experience to, legendary uh, field and lacrosse player, was a, had played one season. He was, he was a little bit older, but played a season and then 
said to me, would you like to give it a try? And I was like, wow, absolutely. And at that time, the big first few years of the league were really field players kind of trying to play field indoor, which right. is pretty common even now at the younger levels. And we were very fortunate that our coach was Dave Evans, who came in, who's a well-known Canadian box uh, coach and former player. So we had a huge advantage in the earliest years of the league in that we were learning box across uh, the correct way to play it. So when we played the other teams, they were, again, were more field players, great athletes, great players. Uh, but we, I feel like I was raised in a box environment, even though the league was slowly transitioning. And then in those first few years, um, you know, then the Canadian influence really started to be felt. But uh, I guess sort of just quickly for me, the value of box is I think it's a great change of pace and it's just a fun game to play while you do. It's a physical game and you get it and you give it and it's kind of nonstop um, constant action. Uh, I think all players get to experience both ends of the floor and everything in between those transition opportunities. I think that's especially exciting for defensive players who – in field might be outstanding long sticks, but they might not venture down to the other end very often. So box affords everybody that opportunity to just go mix it up and fling one at the goalies. That's why I loved it at the beginning. I'm like, you're giving me a short stick and you're letting me run down there. And, you know, if I get lucky and as they say, the blind squirrel finds a nut occasionally, that was an unbelievable thrill. Um, and then, of course, the one thing that I think is demonstrated at every level and the college program starting to focus is just so many touches in tight confines and it forces you to really handle the ball with strength and confidence and shoot in small spaces and so a lot of a lot of good to come from it yeah i love that everything's magnified in there no place to run no place to hide you know twice the ground balls small windows like coach mentioned for stick work even subbing's magnified yep. Like, don't make a mistake Get into the box and getting the right people on and off. And then the two-man game, just watching how much it's grown even now in the outdoor game. But when you watch Carolina play or Ohio State, you see just two-man behind the goal. Ohio State runs two-man out on the side the way we did, Hill Academy. We carried a lot of this over to LaSalle, I think, in my later years. I really got to enjoy watching the Hill Academy and watching Jeff Teat play. And so we stole their two-man simple version and applied it at LaSalle with great success. What yep. do you say, Coach? Absolutely. And the kids loved it. I mean, I think everybody's awareness and knowledge of it has grown. So when Coach Leahy would throw, okay, well, now we're going to tweak a little bit of Canadian style in here. I think the kids are like, whoa, this is something we haven't really had much experience with. And so that, again, gives them something new and exciting to chew on and kind of like really see some growth even in the course of a season. And it gave us their attention. They yeah. weren't like, oh, it's another two, three, one, down the side, through X to the backside. And, and they had to pay attention. And then we had to do a good job of teaching it, yeah. like indoor style and a little bit of basketball, how to set the pick correctly, how to reverse the pick, how to put your stick out in front, like master the craft of doing it. And I would say it had an advantage for us for a long time yeah. until people started to figure out. And I, the other thing that Bill and I talked about, uh, we were lucky enough um, when that Hill Academy would come to the area every once in a while and we got on their schedule and and uh, again, the guys were so excited because, of course, they have an unbelievable, repu well-deserved reputation as a top program in North America. And uh, but with Bill and my background in inbox, and we could prepare them a little better. That okay, here's what you're going to see. This is not what we would do. So we have to kind of adjust our thinking and our approach a little bit. 
And again, I think the kids really took to that. So now if we're able to get them on the schedule each year, the kids really put a star next to that game and like, wow, this is not only play a top, top, top team, but a different style. And I think it brings the best out of our guys. Kate our Smith, husband. National Anthem. Remember that year? Yep. Kate Smith. Really? Yep. Where? At LaSalle. Man, brought it, out the big National Anthem. Was, uh, way back to the Flyers. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, we had our first box club practice last week. I was standing outside of the rink watching everything and hanging with the parents. They couldn't believe how fast things were moving and that every kid was getting their butt kicked. So that's what stood out to me is you're constantly being challenged. No matter how good you are, you're constantly in a different, uncomfortable position or you're just being physical with someone else, which isn't easy. So um, I, I'm really in awe of the box game and trying to learn as much as I can. So let's talk a little culture building. The New Zealand All Blacks um, have provided us some valuable lessons, and Coach Leahy's going to continue sharing them with us. Yeah, thanks for all the feedback. For folks who like the All Blacks, maybe it's new to everybody. So I thought we'd just review a little bit the first two principles and then move on to the third. And, of course, Coach Resch, you know a number of these from LaSalle. So the first one we discussed was sweeping the shed. Any quick thoughts there on the years we swept the shed at LaSalle and how we did it? Uh, yeah, I think that's a has become almost like a uh, central part of what we try and get the guys to be aware of. It's, it's I guess, in the game itself, you talk about sharing the ball and there's team defense, team offense, and part of the whole, but we tried to carry that over to how we took care of our spaces in all parts of the program. So even something as simple as if you're the last guy leaving a bench in a visiting game or the last guy coming off the bus when we get back to school, the seniors sort of, over the years have taken over that responsibility. The guy in the last one coming off looks around, oh, let me grab that Gatorade bottle, or there's a pretzel part from uh, our post-game snack. And, you know, that's something that we tried to reinforce, but now it's one of those great uh, things that the returning seniors take it on. They Starts want the locker room to look itself. good. They want, you know, this is our space. And when we visit, we want the people to say, wow, was, they were very polite and respectful and picked up, so. And the second principle we covered was leave the jersey in a better place, which I think we did a nice job of having alumni come and speak. And sometimes we had a little history on different jersey numbers, especially Travis Mannion, who was a Navy SEAL and gave his life. We play a special game against the Matha down in Baltimore. So uh, that was a fun principle as well to practice for all those years at school. The third principle presented by the New Zealand All Blacks was the idea of following the spearhead. And this can go kind of with many different uh, symbolisms. But the idea that the spearhead is... An part of your extended family and that the entire team be it the players the coaches support staff managers are all moving in the same directions like the thrusting of a spear and what drives the entire spear beyond talent is character and so often the all blacks mention that it was the finest character people that made their teams not the most talented ones the ones that helped move the spearhead forward you know and one of the things that stops the spearhead from moving forward is the idea of friction what we would call that noise over our LaSalle years, and I know Coach Myers calls that. Noise is anything that isn't, doesn't involve the 40 or so people moving the spear in the same direction. So that could be your dad when you get into the car just kind of bitching out your coach's play calling. That's just noise. That's not part of the 45 guys trying to accomplish whatever their goal is at hand. You know, or maybe it's social media. You know, maybe it's the idea of polls. You know, polls is a really uh, kind person sitting down having a cup of coffee just ranking the teams based on subjectively how they see their rankings and their standings and that but that's just noise to the 45 people trying to accomplish the direction of the spearhead so coach any thought on 
Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I, I mean, not a new challenge, but um, a challenge for in the last few years, just what Coach said about the, uh, just kind of the general awareness that, you know, there's top 50, top 100 sophomores. Right, and right. Um, so a young person's awareness of where they fall and their uh, desire to improve their standing. And whereas, again, I'm talking about, it seems like a thousand years ago when I was younger that you just kind of had your team and you competed against your teammates and then you got to you wanted to win the state championship to, yeah you wanted to go play <laughs> and beat Malvern and yeah. you know then you went back to your to your team and you know but now it's a, it's just a different world again that ability of social media to promote yourself or put somebody else down and coach was always uh, unbelievable about within the LaSalle program trying to remind the guys that there's only it still only comes back to your t to you and your teammates and how you relate to each other and how you treat each other and and uh, well, along with the coaches and the rest of the school community. But yeah, the idea was that we all move in the same direction for the same purpose. And in my later years, one of the things I just kind of outlawed was nobody comes to see Coach or I to talk about their playing time because that's about you. You can come and talk about how you want to serve the team. You can come talk about that all you want. And of course we. Think we're good guys, so we'd never let them leave without saying, "How's it going for you?" But we weren't going to start that way. Now, I think that's all basic principles of how to follow the spearhead and move the forty people forward for the right reasons. I love that, and I think you guys have coached so many talented kids that um, it's interesting that you've been able to build that culture and keep it building on itself each year. What resonates for me there is I was coaching the Haverford School uh, on Sunday. It's my first year there coaching. I'm still learning names. I subbed out the starting attack men. Um, two of them are seniors, and instead of you know going to the bench and um, you know, having a drink or, or kind of shooting the breeze, they stayed on the attack side of the sideline and coached up the next three attack men that went in and encouraged them. And um, it was incredible. But as you're saying, follow the spearhead and push it forward. You know, and instead of causing friction and, and kind of stopping momentum, I looked at two of those guys like they're they're the leaders yep. you know and and the spearhead uh is going in a direction that they're pushing it which was pretty cool to see and uh, hopefully i'll be able to share some more from from the coaching sidelines so today we're going to get into our guest round table we have about 38 pages of questions for coach Resch. <laughs> um, his wife said he needs to be home for dinner later for the birds game but um, a ton of great questions um, and I think Coach Leahy wanted to start uh, really back with your high school career. Um, was that right, Coach? Yeah. Let's, let's go on a timeline journey. Time warp, Coach. Take us back to Penn It's Charter. a long timeline, <laughs> unfortunately, as you can tell by the can, good thing about the podcast. You can see all this gray hair, but been at it a while. Take us back to Penn Charter in the early 80s, ACDC versus Led Zeppelin debate. Stones. Uh, stones. Stones, that was it? Stones, guy. Which one was yeah. a... Uh, um, total yeah. Stones were brawls <laughs> over the cassette deck, which who was going to get their uh, cassette in there to play pregame. So you're a freshman in lacrosse, Penn Charter. What was it like back in the 80s playing Interact Lacrosse here in Philly? Uh, my first recollections are just uh, my cluelessness as to exactly what I was trying to accomplish. And again, I'm, I'm sure there's archival photos of these things but the school provided helmets and gloves and the gloves were I swore they were made of iron and the sticks were oval and smooth <laughs> and it was you know 
45 degrees those first week or two, so you literally couldn't cradle, and not that I exactly knew how to cradle. Um, so, but we were all, the, the good news is we were all in the same boat, especially my classmates as freshmen, that we were literally learning from the first day, and which made it, um, well, it was still nerve-wracking, but maybe a little less so because every other guy was dropping every other pass. <laughs> um, obviously, the stick work was a little stiffer, to say the least. I was a midfielder, JV, my first year. God forbid, right? Yeah, played oh, JV, yeah, like, right? Oh, my I think, goodness. I'm uh, pretty sure my dad came in and, no. <laughs> um, I was thrilled to be anywhere and get to play. Um, and then moving forward, I, I was destined. I would have been borderline. Had a good summer league, and I thought oh, I got a shot at varsity. Uh, and then one of those things that you just never, in hindsight, wouldn't realize it would lead me to the opportunities it did was. So I was pretty much headed for midi, either end of the varsity bench or JV. And an upperclassman, a defenseman, broke his hand. And my older brother, Hank, who really was my first coach, um, I don't even remember him specifically doing it. The coach said, we want you to play defense. Here's a long pole. And uh, not to sound too corny, but kind of the rest is history. I took to that very quickly because I was a defensive back in football. I was played a lot of basketball. So the footwork part, I didn't ever really have to think about it. I just was good at running with people. And um, I... I was kind of normal. I was an average size guy at that point, but I got an opportunity to play almost right away as a defenseman. So I was uh, hanging on for dear life as a sophomore, playing the Interact schools, playing, I remember a playoff game against Springfield Delco and standing next to the attackman and he had more hair on one leg than I had on my entire body. I'm like, I am totally in over my head here, but all great experiences. And then junior year, each year just gained confidence and senior year I was yeah I just kind of kept moving along kept getting a little See how bigger humble coaches little, right there a little bigger a little stronger and again still playing those other sports and I you know football experience helped me and you know with my toughness and my competitive nature and basketball again footwork and conditioning and so was the door open at Yale because of football because of lacrosse or your your brain so again I I would say that I had some brain in there, but the <laughs> lacrosse plus football was definitely gave me a boost. Did um, you know you were going to play both, or did you? Well, actually, the, the other uh, really great influence in my development was uh, our head coach Mike Walvogel, who was only in had I was we were his first recruiting class, so he was also an assistant assistant football coach. So he put me on. He was. Able to, I was not a standout football player. They were, he was able to get the football staff yeah, to put work. me on there, and so I was on two lists as it Because usually so they're, think, they're butting heads and saying, "No way." Correct. Guy, yeah. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of qualify the time period in that, in those days, and this is the early '80s. I graduated in '85. That fall across was basically non-existent it was one it was captain's practice and very loosely organized nothing like today spring football was a not was like show up in your okay. shorts and grays and run a 40 and so you could it, it still was a big commitment but you could coexist there was no tugging in terms of 
great. where you needed to be. So I was very fortunate that way. Um, but Coach Walgold was nice enough to be able to get me on both lists. And um, I did look, I, I was recruited by Cornell. And to be quite honest, I was a little overwhelmed. I visited there. They were not far removed from national championships. And I was just some guy from Philadelphia that didn't know much about anything. And uh, Coach Walvogel said, you can come in here and play <laughs> right away next year. And of course, Yale and Cornell, both amazing schools. So I, I sort of was like, okay, wow. love to. And the football part, I think they, I'm not sure they expected me to stay with it. So it ended up being a how were the football and lacrosse teams, and I guess what was the career like doing both for those years? Yeah, the football team was – well, there was freshman football, which, again, was a really a great benefit in those days because you were with your peers and adjusting to college. And I can't imagine that if I had gone in as a freshman and been had to have been part of the JV and varsity program, I might not have stayed with that. But then you had this kind of nice little cocoon to learn about Yale and learn about college football. Um and so they had, we were amazing. The varsity was 9-1 and one that year. And then we were solid the rest of the time that I was there. We didn't win any Ivy Championships in football. Um, and in lacrosse, the good and bad news is we were not good at all. <laughs> but I got a chance to get on the field sure. right away and, and contribute and play against amazing programs in the Ivy League, of course. So, and then my senior year, 1985, we went 7-3, and three, came and could have – Tied for the Ivy title, lost to Brown in my last, our last college game. Uh, and then the next year, John Reese comes in. And so are probably uh, pumping up our tires a little too much, but my classmates and I feel that we sort of started that our senior year and then it kept growing. They won the Ivy League in a couple of years. And then, um, you know, obviously I'm very lucky. My youngest son, Connor, played at Yale, so I've seen – all the amazing things that Coach Shea has done there. So yeah. that big fan of our yellow lacrosse was not what you see <laughs> when I got there, but it was uh, again for my needs to be able to get on the field right away and take our lumps. Don't get me wrong, but got to I, play. Just, I just got didn't. To have fun. I was so excited, and again, just uh, awareness and uh, of all the great players out there. It was just talk about a just being tossed into the deep end. That was me, for sure. So after your All-American years at Yale, you graduate and head to England, right, for a little bit of service? Yep. And then you return back, and that's where, at least when I talk to all the legends who love you, they say your best years of lacrosse came about. And that was playing club lacrosse, but that's not, as our kiddos know it today, club lacrosse. Is that like Team Toyota? Or Team NBA? Toyota. Yeah, it was one of, the, uh, one of the top teams, and it was really the only – if you wanted to stay with the game, it was really the only thing out there. But it was just a definition of playing because you loved it. It was – so we were, were in sort of the Southern Division, so there were five or six outrageous clubs in Baltimore, and we were okay. the Philadelphia guys. And so you would just pile in the car with four or five guys and drive down to Mount Washington and okay. play – I mean, and the talent level – because there was no pro league, so everybody – it was between you could, beer league and pro league. Yes, but, but yeah. way closer yeah. to pro league. And, and yeah. you know, you really only knew guys in those early years. Like, you know, if you had a Loyola helmet on or that guy played at Hopkins, oh, man, that's John Tucker. It's not like you're looking him up on Instagram. Nah. So it was yeah. sort of like you'd scout a little bit once you got there and who's wearing what helmet. Oh, that's a UNC guy. He'll be good. But And that's that was a big part of uh, 
the growth I, I personally believe in Philadelphia lacrosse was we always went into their those games like it's we are the underdog beyond underdogs and again playing against great teams and MLC and uh, Maryland Lacrosse Club, Mount Washington, Team Toyota came on later, Chesapeake Lacrosse Club, these were such talented teams and we knew we were uh, kind of had to play with that chip on our shoulder which I think served us well and as a team and for me personally I, I always you know, kind of felt like I had to prove something. So, Boy, I remember our one game against Mount Washington where our MAB team had three or four USA team players. You look at Mount Washington, they have Paul Gate, Gary Gate, Marichek. They got yeah, Canadians. Petro. Petro playing. Quaint. They were just wild games, weren't they? It was they? crazy. And, and again, it was bring your own stuff and, you know, line it up and just go no, no at hype. it. Yeah, and, uh, just get out But there. it was, and you mentioned Beer League, it was great because then, you know, in the case of Mount Washington, you literally walked up the road and went, you know, yeah. after the game it was – whatever went on during the game went on during the game yeah. and then it was just connecting with guys that you vaguely knew and were able to uh, you know get to know better and and so those those bonds just grew and then kind of indoor was in it and it was just all these opportunities for the uh, really learn to love the sport and the people involved with it and that's what led you to team usa as a player yep so that was uh 1980s I actually so you try out the year before in 1985 again this is sort of a I guess an example of my lack of awareness so our Jeff Hacker was our assistant coach coach Walvogel who had been a U.S. team player and he said you should uh, apply to try out for the U.S. team I was like I have no idea what that means and so I learned more about it, and I was lucky enough to get an invite. Again, it was my senior year, so I go in, and there's all these club guys. And the interesting thing about club was they were, um, I don't know, people didn't take as good a care of themselves then, so they're kind of like a little out of shape. You know, I'm sort of like, well, I think I'm, I can hang in there, but their knowledge, and we called it like he's the ultimate club player because their efficiency and their awareness and their just – knowledge of the game like you get when you play for a long time was off the chart so it was usually two weekends at the first weekend it was like I am so not making this team <laughs> but I came back the next weekend almost like with nothing with nothing Fresh no stress start, no yeah. pressure so I played pretty well and that experience I then get to go back and get involved in the club scene and see a lot of those similar guys so that disappointment I, I mean I don't want to minimize the fact that I still wanted to make it and was disappointed I sort of was like okay now I, I've got four years to sort of approach this and you know I again the chip on the shoulder thing I would run steps and I would be this one's for this defenseman that made the team and really six I, and I was gonna ask you who was, who was motivating you um, and wasn't I, it wasn't anything personal because they absolutely earned earned those um, spots but that was kind of my all of a sudden you kind of trick myself you to, weren't so oblivious no yeah and I was uh and I knew the process and I knew what the tryout would be like so I just and like a lot of things it's timing in my age I was getting you know I was late 20s and I kind of was just I was the timing was right for me so in 90 I was lucky enough to get on the team and so that coaching staff knew what it do, what it was doing. I could cut in '94, so they didn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's so you win a gold medal, and then you have your picture with President Bush, the first President Bush. Yep. And then from there, you got the bug, Team USA, all over the place, right? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a, I think it's one of those things, I guess in life in general, if you'd stay around long enough and are surrounded by good people, they, opportunities come your way, and um, that's absolutely been the case for me. And yeah, even something as simple as um, going to the White House, you know, the 90 team was able to do that, and I still don't really know why. We were really excited, like, oh, we've been invited, and then I remember reading an article at the end of the year that, like, 300 college international teams had been into the White House, so it wasn't exactly an exclusive thing, but I was so lucky to get to do that. I don't know of another team that's been able to do that, so I have a picture with President Bush in the Oval Office, and yeah, it's like one of those, how's, how's that happen? But Incredible. Well, few people know the Canadians as well as you. From being a coach with Team USA and then the indoor world, we asked Tucker this question. What's it all about? Why is it just so intense? Yeah, I, I, and it's interesting because uh, while he would be amazing at it, and I know they'd love to get him to play for the Wings, uh, Tuck's never played indoor, but that's where it comes from for me. That's where my respect and uh, I'll use too strong a word of hate for them in some contexts really came from, and I think I mentioned earlier, that as the indoor league, the MLL, is that what it was called? Major Mill? Yeah, the major And then no. to the NLL. As that transition in the Wings, arch rival became the uh, Buffalo Bandits originally, and they were all Canadians, and and they actually knew what they were doing. So those first couple of years were rough, but uh, we learned quickly. And, and again, you had that measuring stick, like, wow, this is where we need to be as not just – you know, good player athletes running around, but we need to be box players. And so that is where my uh, original sort of respect and just passion, do anything you could possibly do to beat them came from. And then in the outdoor game, quite honestly, in 1990, that was the first year the Gate Brothers played for Canada and Tom Marichek played for Canada. So that was a, that was a, transition year for them the one place they always struggled was uh, with defensemen because again you, if you have, have to go the other way you're an indoor player you play with a short stick and a tight space your entire life and now you got to go out on a big field and chase around Mac Ford and Roddy Marino and all these unbelievable guys um, that's a big that's a big and carry a six foot stick that, that they just didn't quite look the part but then that gradually improved and improved until finally there's a Brody Merle and now all those young Canadians are seeing, wow, I can you know, field as an opportunity and be in a long stick as an opportunity. And so that to me is when it started to even out a little bit in that the, uh, their awareness, just like Americans trying to develop as indoor players, they began to grow as uh, field players as well. So that was... That, that is where, and then, then I think it was an indoor knockheads and then outdoor took that same intensity level. And they're, they're tough. They're just, I always enjoyed the indoor game because I always compared it, at least for me, as more a defensive oriented guy like that offensive lineman mentality. You, can, you just got to go out there and pound it out every shift, every shift. And there, I can remember God, John Tavares, like, yeah. You know, you'd get him one time, and he'd go back to the bench. He just—he was like, uh, "I'll be back. I'm gonna." Unfazed. I'm gonna. He didn't. You know, you'd jack him up. He wouldn't even blame. He'd embarrass he, you the next time somehow. Yep. And yeah, so it was. 
just one of those rivalries that I think every sport loves when you have that, that arch rival that you know and right up right up to 2018 when I'm on the sideline and USA Canada that goes down to literally the last second and you know you play Play the round robin, and you know this is an important game. This is an important game, but chances are you're going to see them when it really matters, and it's a little bit of a feeling out process. And then, boy, just that every possession is like, you know, just a death struggle. is is pretty cool environment to be a part of. So playing a Canadian attackman, Tuck walked us through it. He also mentioned you as a mentor, and I got to hear this often at LaSalle yeah. as we prepare for the Hill Academy. All right, so you're playing one of the top Canadian attackmen. How do you do it? Well, it's all right. I'll tell one quick story from 1990 when I was Tom Marichek was 19 at the time. He was right, either a freshman or sophomore at Q. So was he always Hollywood Marichek, or was that? That was more of an indoor thing. Okay. As far as so, he wasn't well. Hollywood yet. No, not yet. Right. He was very good. And he was chirping me in the, in the <laughs> round robin game. Um, so we come back and we're, again, you, you obviously you need to know what hand they are. And again, there's now there's Canadians who can be either way, but they're pretty much one-handed, you know. And but I had learned from the Gate brothers, it didn't matter. You knew where they were going, and you still couldn't stop them in a lot of circumstances. So Tom carries the ball back, left-handed, gets to X, and to me, I thought it was like I put on the Briggs completely. And he looks at me literally out of the corner of his eye and smirks. This is the Hollywood part. And I think this is like an absolute stop dead. I'm not going over there because you're not going over there. He turns, and just as he turns, I throw the whack on the right off the backside and stick helicopters. I got one of my favorite pictures. It's like literally I hit it so hard. It's like Uh, hanging in midair. The ball's on the ground. And to me, that was like you just that discipline of being in the right spot and knowing what direction. And then when they go in that direction, you've got to be unbelievably physical um, because you learn that even if you're in the right spot, if it's just a so if I'm a righty playing a lefty, a top hand, that's not going to be good enough because they are so insistent on and strong and smart and just one little wiggle will give them that shoulder through and then you've got a big problem and then it's a split second and the ball's on the back of the goal so that I always enjoyed and teaching even our guys with the Hill Academy guys it's got to be feet in the right spot it's got to be physical as all get out every time they come near you because even if you think you're in the right spot and you're like oh he's not going to dodge him in a great spot they're coming anyway because they're that smart and resourceful when they dodge yeah they make you compete in every way every way which brings me to my next thought for you. You once gave a great talk at the Pennsylvania Hall of Fame dinner about um, it's got to be something wrong with you to be a great lacrosse player. And our boys loved it. They actually mm-hmm. went with hashtag WWW question mark. What's yep. wrong with you? Can you go talk a little bit more about that saying? And one thing I love about you is that you are a fierce competitor. So how does it all go together? Yeah, um, I I told the story and, and we were built was being modest and he was also being inducted into a, a local coaches hall of fame and and uh so that was a thrill for for me to go in with bill and um so the story i let off with was again going back to the club days we were it was only my maybe my second year and we were down in baltimore in a playoff game getting thumped by uh Maryland Lacrosse Club, and it was the time was winding down, and I kind of most of their starters were off to the side, and 
Uh, I was just there waiting to start whistle and clear the ball. And one of the guys came over and said, just looked at me playing his day and was like, what's wrong with you? And I knew he wasn't like yelling at me. He wasn't making a scene. It was just like two guys. And I was like, we both knew. And I had been <laughs> probably frustrated and cheeping and yelling at refs. And yeah. I was like, I, I, he literally made me speeches. I was like, uh, and the ref blew the whistle and off we went. And, um, you know, my, my wife would ask me and opponents who then got to know me later would be like, what, you? I hated you. And I, I don't know. I was not a – all the things that I really do not allow players that I coach <laughs> to do, I did all of them as a uh, just, I don't know. Different guy between the lines. Yeah, my desire to compete and to – win and win the matchup within the larger matchup of the teams. It was just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's embarrassing at times, but it was just kind of how I came up. Best part is after 20 years of being with you, I can see it coming. The growl on oh, the yeah. face. <laughs> Here he comes. What's wrong I'm with I'm a little this guy? better about it now as a coach. I, I'm hopefully a little better. Uh, so, Tony, we mentioned earlier the Wings career as a player, a coach, uh, eventually getting inducted to the Indoor League Hall of Fame. What was it like, you know, early in the Wings career, uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, the spandex generation? And, um, you know, eventually the Wings were a dynasty. And as I remember, they, they had to break up the dynasty um, to grow the league. And I was uh, a, young, a young lacrosse fan, but the first podcast we talked about the spectrum just rocking and a lot of, uh, you know, great times in there. And then, man, it was a hell of a team for, for really over a decade there. So... Just give us a little bit on, on your playing career with the Wings and transitioning to coaching and what's it like to be an athlete, pro athlete in your hometown? Uh, yeah, it was, I again, like I think I mentioned uh, earlier, like none of us knew anything about box. So literally in those days, and we, I talked about club, bring your own stuff and uh, buy your own sticks, et cetera. So the fact that uh, they were giving us equipment they, we were playing at the Spectrum. Again, I'm a Philadelphia guy, so to be using the locker room that the Sixers use, right. literally it's not like today where it was just like a locker room and they would take the Sixers stuff out and put ours up and the Flyers had their own space and we'd peek in there. And So that was like a dream come true. And then to uh, – I'm still – people ask me all the time, like what was going on then that those crowds arrived? And in my opinion, I, I – it was sort of before, though, that next level of minor league baseball and HL hockey and the Delaware Blue Coats or what have you. So we were, it was sort of the main sports and then us. And I feel like the Flyers have been really good. And I think we sort of were the other team and the Flyers fans adopted us. There was fighting, there was action, we were good. Totally. Um, the players stayed around after games so I think it kind of grew from there just that we were there were a lot of local guys involved and the fans took to us and I mean again I'm a Philadelphian and the fact that we are lucky enough to have Dave Evans and some really good teams and be successful early that got it rolling but I will say without a doubt every time we walked out and looked around and saw that we were like Seriously, for us, really, it's like <laughs> mind blowing, and that's right through my playing and coaching career. So it was, uh, yeah, I, 
we were as surprised as anybody else when it when it took really? off. No, we wow. had no expectations again to fly to games and to stay in hotels and just we, happy we would playing. fight over that we would get two beer tickets after the game. We were like, "Where are my beer tickets?" <laughs> guys were making a hundred dollars and getting all stitched up and having to go to right? work on Monday. Like hundred dollars for a yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, Bill Bill saw yeah. Govett smashing his face against yeah. the plexiglass. And the warm up and or the <laughs> introductions. He lost. He, it was dark, so he couldn't yeah. see any runs smack into the glass on the far side. I think I met his son. He plays at Delaware. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And he said, oh, you know my dad from this? I go, no, I know him from being a wing and jumping against the boards and yep. getting and the crowd fired up. Yeah, he was. And the other thing I, I realized is, and you guys are, I want to thank again for having me, was as I thought about those early days, one of the interesting things that kind of snuck up on me, and I, I, I still think that, and I said this to the next guys, yeah. young guys the other day, like, it's a toughness game and it's a brains game because you think guys are just banging into each other out there, but it's really like all the dodging and indoor is very kind of thoughtful and like has a plan and there is banging. But in those early teams for the wings, listen to this list of guys who were tough guys and great players, but then they were thinkers because listen to this group list of coaches, Gary Gate, Brian Volker, Chris Bates, John Nostrand, John McAvoy, Kevin Finneran, Bill Leahy. I was doing it uh, a little later, or Tom Slate, Sean Nadlin. These are all, I mean, that's why I was lucky when I moved into coaching. These were the core guys for me. So not only were they tough, amazing competitors and talented players, but they listened, they learned, and I talked about that learning curve for us as the first of Bandits and then the Toronto Rock come into the league. Um, the caliber of actual box lacrosse went through the roof and we had to still kind of have those great gate brother Tom Marichek, Dallas Elliott, but then we surrounded them with U.S. guys and were able to hang in there with some pretty amazing teams and so that was always um, I don't know, kind of snuck up on me that all those guys then went on to be teachers of the game and none of them are finesse guys either yeah what about the gate brothers uh what were you what were your first impressions when you got on the floor with those guys? Yeah, it was uh, – so I played – they play, came in with the Detroit Turbos, so I played against them a couple times. And, again, that was one of those eye-opening experiences. Um, and then we were lucky enough to get them with the wings, so I played uh, with them actually right on the line. We, did, we didn't go OD right away, so it was – Gabe Brothers, me, Rob Sheck, and Gay, Scott Gabrielson, who's a wow. legendary wing. And, uh, yeah, it was fun because, I mean, I would just try to get the ball, throw it to them and get out of the way. They were left-handed, so they were on the other side. But defensively, I again, we're playing two-way. So they were not the most energetic defensive guys ever. And they were like, can't we just play the wall? You know, like <laughs> zoned it up, and I'm running around checking everybody that I got comes it, guys. Close. I got it. Uh, but it was uh, to just be on a, the floor with them. And, he, and the thing about those guys, and Paul was with us for a couple years, and then he moved on when you talked about how the league, I think, tried to balance some things out. There was a team in Syracuse, and that's sure, a natural that's right. for him. But the one thing about Gary was that uh, he was a classic example of a guy that whatever was asked of him, you know, obviously he could score goals. And But, hey, Gary, would you mind – Playing some man down, sure, coach. Face off line, sure, coach. You know, pick up the towel, sure, coach. And, you know, one of those, like when you're like the best player in the league is an absolutely self-sacrificing 
whatever you need of me or whatever the team needs of me, I'll do it. Then, of course, everybody else has Follow no the choice but to get in line and like, wow, is that, is that how you Lamar do Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Israel, gold medal, wild ending. Take us back. What was that like? Uh, yeah, it's one of the great experiences. I, I, I think the overall experience was was tremendous. Um, Coach Donowski was an unbelievable leader. Um, I got to work with Joe Amplo at the defensive end and Seth Tierney and um, uh, Ben DeLuca. So staff-wise, was just an amazing experience. Um, I w- I'm lucky enough because I had had some of the pro league experience. I knew a lot of the players involved and. You know, I had coached Mike Earhart for a couple seasons and you know, I got to know Tom Schreiber and John Galloway, just so many unbelievable leaders. And again, it was just uh, through the course of the tournament and when you coach with the U19, sure had that same vibe that, that it was just a crash course waiting for those teams to meet up when uh mattered the most. And yeah, the end was was about as wild an ending as not just the final goal, but just uh, some controversy. There was sort of an offside call that maybe was or was not correct. And, and then a uh, long possession, couple opportunities. And, you know, the last play was a great example. And you talk about self-sacrifice and, you know, Rob Pinnell is one of the great ball carriers in, in the game for the last however many years and gets it off the end line. I'm sure his first instinct was to let me get to the goal here and see if I can jam one in there. And, you know, at the same time, you have Ned Crotty, who's really more of a ball carrier, setting a back screen. And there's Tom Schreiber and the other. I'm not sure if Tuck mentioned this one. So I didn't really know about this debate, the classic inside cutter stick to the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canadians to the outside. And Tom Schreiber had it in the hand on the side. They coaches didn't want him but that's how he scores the winning goal and if he has it in the outside hand like field players right. usually do maybe doesn't get there and so obviously the one of the real thrilling moments of my time of my career when that went in and and again just being in Israel and having been to Jerusalem and as I think I talked about earlier just who would have thought that this sport would afford me these opportunities and life experiences and being around the amazing people that I've been able to be around. Yeah, but you're not done traveling, so you're going to go to Ireland, 2020. Yeah. Yep. Assistant GM, what's it like to be on the other side and not necessarily directly on the sideline? Yeah, I'm sort of finding my way along through that. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm just hovering a little bit. Uh, Andrew Stimmel, who's the new head coach at Marquette, is uh, running the defense, so he's been great. I'm enjoying, uh, obviously, Nick Myers sets an unbelievable tone, and Pat Myers takes care of the offense, so I'm I'm sort of a uh, just a uh, elder voice <laughs> in the background when asked, and uh, so it's been fun. And uh, but I'm it's such an honor to be involved with the team in any capacity. And when I interviewed for the uh, position, I said I, I to have the opportunity to be involved with another team. I'll fold jerseys. I'll you know do wash. I'll help out coaching. I'll do whatever. I'll, check the rooms, make sure the guys are in on time. And if that gives me the opportunity to be involved with another team, I'm all in. So, There's no USA teams left, Coach. Women's team? <laughs> Got to get to uh, work That's there. my secret goal. Yeah. <laughs> Fox. Women's well, indoor the, team. Uh, one yeah, yeah. I think that'll probably, the indoor for the women will hopefully be coming along at some point. I know, Kat. I, don't I know. can see you Is and Spelina. Uh, I can see you and Spelina coaching the U.S. Yep. team. 
because 91 uh, has has their girls playing box and is that right? I think they're years ahead of everyone else. But and yeah. they play uh, full rule. It's the same. Oh rule. yeah. Okay. I love it. I've seen them kick some kick some serious tail when they come to Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coach, I, I wanted to ask you quickly about the Philadelphia Barrage mm-hmm. in the MLL um, and what you remember from that experience uh, being the head coach. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. Uh, well, actually, the first year wasn't. So it was a weird transition in that they had been the Bridgeport Barrage. Okay. And then they were primarily, they were called the Philadelphia Barrage, but they were still basically Long Island based. And then they moved a um, Gary Holloway bought the barrage so they became really the Philadelphia barrage but so I kind of I was hired and inherited this team and in like the first week like five of their key guys like I'm not driving to Philly trade me to the Wizards and so there was like this upheaval okay and so that first year we really did and again a lot of the guys knew each other Um, we had some talent but just we struggled that first year and um Quite honestly, I had to I had to sort of do a self check in the off season, and I remember sending an email. Team emails were relatively new, going back a ways. Yeah. And I said, I, fellas, I just have to be true to who I am and the expectations. I I really had taken a hands off approach, and I sort of went back to what had always worked with the wings that, you know, you're going to be held accountable for. You know, if this is a system we install and this is the expectation that the O coach or the D coach or anybody else has, then that's what you're expected to do. And, um, yeah, we were lucky enough that next year we just got on a roll. And, and another side story that really benefited me, the first year we won the championship was a U.S. team year. And some of those guys came back. They had lost. Did and you have, like, Strebel and – Ryan Boyle, Boyle. And some of those wow. guys had not had a great experience, hadn't played as much as they might have liked, and um, they were like a, pardon my language, PO'd bunch of guys. And then the other key add-on was Paul Canabine, came on as our face-off guy, and he caught fire. And so we just absolutely put it together, and I think we surprised a lot of our, a lot of people, including ourselves. As, but then by the end of the season, we were. We were rolling, and we had a little bit of a renegade. You had Brian Dockery, right? We had so Doc. Your team we had, had some swagger. Brian Spelina, we had Kyle Sweeney. We had some guys that were, yeah, yeah, didn't mind telling me about it after. That's great. I was a young fan. Uh, let's let's kind of move into the 21st century and uh, the the PLL. Um, you were an assistant coach with the Archers this past year with Coach Bates. Um, it was really exciting to watch the new professional league get started. I think it blew everyone's expectations away. It'd be awesome to hear what you thought going in and you know where your head is now with the PLL. I, as we've established, I've been lucky to have uh, kind of be on the ground floor on a lot of opportunities. So I saw this as another, um, I'm, I'm really, I've gotten to know Paul Rabel pretty well over the years, having coached him and been around him and totally impressed by him. Certainly, I mean, player part kind of just obvious, but as a uh, as a person and as a business person and all the different facets and so when he had mentioned it to me back when we were in Israel together I was like wow I'm very intrigued by that and then uh, when I coach Bates was nice enough to give me an opportunity to help out I, I really jumped out I loved my MLL experience that that was totally positive but just the format was really of interest to me 
and the fact that it was sort of player driven, I guess I would say uh, made it again something new and different. And I thought it was uh, the venues were were fantastic to play at MLS stadiums. Again, I'm I'm like a and maybe it's my high school former high school athletic director. I just love like gyms and yeah. Like, let me yeah. see the facilities and just to be around. I know what you mean. Some of these, uh, I'm I'm just always interested in that. So to see go to a whole bunch of different cities and experience some uh, a number of different uh, arenas was really cool. And the playing, of course, was off the charts and. The archers, specifically Bates, he really set an unbelievable tone, and the guys bought into it. We had great leadership, Shribes and Marcus Holman and Will Manny, and um, we were very lucky that way, uh, Adam Gittleman. So uh, all positive. They really were aware of that. Part-time athlete thing can be a little tricky, so weekend travel in the summer is a hassle no matter what you do, but they worked hard to make it as um, easy as possible for the players and the staff to get to these various venues so and uh, again the play on the field was was just outrageous what's your uh, I guess contract there or commitment is it are you locked in for another year or yeah I hope uh, if coach coach Bates will have me back yeah. I'd love to do it again and you guys were old teammates with the wings uh, I Chris? coached him you coached Chris? teammates yeah but uh, wow. yeah he had a great career with us and it's really a great example of a guy who just through sheer effort and toughness and really carved a nice indoor career for himself. It's impressive. So I wanted to ask you a little bit away from lacrosse, uh, more as just knowing you as um, a husband, uh, a parent of a few boys, you know, what, what's a ride been like as a parent? Um, you know, maybe as a sports parent, but just as a parent, you know, what's, what's that ride been like? Yeah, it's been a unbelievable experience. Uh, for me as a family as well i'm very 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 the star of the show by far is my wife mary um, there's just no question about that i'm very like we met first kind of corny first english class freshman english in, at yale so we she was a four-year basketball starter uh, at yale so as an athlete she understood my kind of over the top sure. love for athletics and and the schedule and, and the schedule and so um, but we did have uh, three boys through uh, Patrick Brendan and Connor really right through the 91 93 95 so right as the wings I'm coaching I'm going in 10 different directions I'm teaching at LaSalle coaching or sorry at Penn Charter <laughs> coaching at Penn Charter there were literally a couple days or a day I can remember specifically when I was at Penn Charter that I coached Spartan Lacrosse Club, shout out Spartan Lacrosse Club. I love the Spartan Lacrosse uh, Club. Patrick and a youth drove down to Ridley with Penn Charter, wow. drove to the airport, flew to coach the uh, the wings that night. So it were, those were some pretty wild days. But and then moving forward to have even at the youth level to have the opportunity to coach uh, my sons, our middle son, Brendan is autistic, so he's he was not. Uh, didn't really play uh, any lacrosse or sports, but Patrick and Connor were amazing, and Bill was kind enough to help me keep my feet on the ground. And you know, it's never easy. It, it can be a challenge as a dad coaching your kids directly, um, but with a little bit of intense therapy, Patrick and Connor seemed to <laughs> come through the other side. But now it was uh, Nat LaSalle experience. Both of them won state championships, oh, and. Man. To be there, part of that, and uh, all kidding aside, Bill was was fantastic because you, know, you do sometimes like my 
overthinking this, underthinking this when it's your own uh, child can be can be a little different. And then to be able to have them go on and be uh, involved in great college experiences was uh, like icing on the cake. And I was just a dad sitting up there with Mary and taking it all in, and that was uh, really fantastic. And Patrick's played in the PLL. And I saw yeah so this summer was, you got uh, to coach against them. Yep. Which that team was is he on? Chaos. Chaos. Coach Towers. He had four years in college, and then. Uh, so that was a thrill, obviously, again, it's great coaching him, but to be on the opposite sideline while he was out there with the, with the best players in the, in the world was pretty thrilling. Congrats, Coach. You survived our 38 pages of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. So now we kind of come to the conclusion here. A little round robins, my favorite part of the show. It's kind of rapid fire homework. So I'm going to ask you on, under a shot clock. Some homework, homework for a player, homework for parents, homework if you were a coach, and then what are you listening to or reading these days? So, Gabby, ready I'm to rock. rock? Ready? Here we roll. All, All right. right. So I've been blabbing so much. I'm going to combine player, parent, coach, homework. I hope somebody hasn't done this already. And challenge people to start a gratitude journal, which simply means you have a small pad of paper or maybe a little journal type book by your bed and you take two or three minutes before you go to sleep and just jot down people things that you are grateful for in your world it's been uh the article that i read about this said that doing it before you go to sleep supposedly makes your rest even more effective that you sleep better that you and again, I'm not a scientist, but we'll just go, that we'll positive vibe that you're thinking positive things as you go to sleep and um, that can lead to better rest and recovery and you feel better when you wake up in the morning. So gratitude journal was my uh, homework idea for uh, all three a good one. constituencies. And then uh, reading, listening. So I'll throw out one odd one. It's not on the list, but I don't go to the movies very often, but Mary and I went to see Knives Out. I don't know if you've heard about that one. So that's an ensemble movie. It's kind of, a, again, showing my age, Agatha Christie and Murder on the Orient Express. It's one of those uh, whodunits, like from the classic sense, spooky house. Somebody gets killed. Everybody seems like they're guilty. Everybody seems like they're innocent, but it's Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis. And nice. So it's really entertaining uh, two hours that all ages would enjoy. It's like Clue. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. Clue. Like a game of Clue, but really kind of uh, interestingly done. And then reading. One thing that I, and this, these are short readings for those young guys who can't get through a book. I, I have a website I love called Players Tribune, which is uh, sort of first person athletes international as well, not just like football players, but uh, international soccer players. And it really covers a wide range of topics. Some are very serious and mental health issues and guys have actually and women have sort of made announcements almost on this Players Tribune about difficulties that they've had and experienced and are you know now getting help and it's just a really first person uh, really interesting articles that, uh, that I enjoy. I love that you shared that one I get I signed up for that newsletter I get them all the time yep. in the inbox and um, some of them are better than others but like sure. you said yeah. some of them are, are groundbreaking pretty powerful stuff and worth sure. sharing so that's pretty cool. Well, thank you, Coach Resch. It's been an honor to shoot the breeze with you today. Thank you for all of your tremendous work within the sport of lacrosse and really being an inspiring mentor to so many, especially in the Philadelphia area. 
I'm proud to call you a coworker, a friend, and we're excited to share this episode with all of our listeners. So we are signing off from the Navy Yard in Philadelphia. Thank you. Thanks, guys. My pleasure.